invite you now to join me in standing for the reading of our gospel text this morning. The gospel today comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 to 10. Here we hear, here we listen to um, the words of our Lord himself as he spoke to his disciples and instructed them on the night before his death. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare, prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you also may be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let's respond now to the word of God by reciting our faith using the ancient words of the Nicene Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten and not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated. As we continue our journey through the Psalms um, that we began in the summer of 2016 and have continued in each summer since, um, the Psalm that is before us is Psalm 61 this morning. I invite you now to listen carefully again to God's word from Psalm 61, which is printed for you on the back of your order of worship if you'd like to and follow along and read it there. Psalm 61. To the choirmaster, with stringed instruments of David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Thus far, the reading of God's word, it is absolutely true. And it is given to you, friend, because your Father in heaven loves you. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, you've caused all the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us now to hear this portion of your word and to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it that we may even more embrace and hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. When your heart is faint, where do you go for refuge and rest? What do you do when your heart is faint? I assume you know Something about what that means, what the psalmist is describing there. In the midst of your anxieties and your fears and your weariness, the apparent chaos and uncontrollableness of your life, where do you flee? Where do you go? The Psalms present God as the place where we are to turn. In fact, the image of the living God as a refuge, as a place of safety, as a place of protection and rest, is one of the most predominant images for God in all of the Psalms. You see this if you read the Psalms all the way through. Again and again, the Lord is referred to in this way, as a refuge, as a, as a tower, as a fortress. Indeed, I would argue that this picture of God God as refuge for his people is the dominant, the most dominant image 
for God that the Psalms give us. And I think that's worth thinking about, that that is how the Psalms choose, by the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to most predominantly present God to us as a refuge. The image the psalmist seems to be trying to give us in all of these different parts of the Psalter is that if we are with God, or more properly, if God is with us, then we are absolutely safe with Him. We are safe from harm. The psalmist gives us many different pictures of this one image, different angles and perspectives to help us imaginatively understand what it means that God is our refuge, that that is who he is. Sometimes he describes God as my tower. It's another way that he speaks of God being our refuge. Or he says, God is my fortress, or God is my stronghold. These are all various ways of saying the same thing, that God is a place for his people of complete safety and protection where they can be at rest. Psalm 48, for example, just to choose one of dozens and dozens, describes God as an impregnable city, a fortress with towers and ramparts and citadels where all the people of God can dwell together in safety. This is our God, that psalm concludes. This is our God forever and ever. This is who he is. He is this great city where we are safe from harm. Sometimes the psalmist calls God my shield or my rock, which develops the same idea. That Psalm 18 piles a number of these images in the same verse. David there says, The Lord, that is Yahweh, he is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Do you see what David is doing there? He's saying the same thing eight different ways, right? So that we'll hear it, so that we'll, we'll understand it. Sometimes in a particularly, I think, poignant um, aspect of God being our refuge, the psalmist will describe himself, even as he does in our psalm this morning, as being hidden under the shadow of God's wings. I mean, that's a fascinating image, right, if you think about it for a minute. Being hidden under the shadow of God's wings. The psalmist uses that language again and again throughout the Psalter. I think it's a particularly powerful and intimate image if we really dwell with it and, and ponder it. Psalm 57 is typical. The psalmist there says, in the shadow of your wings, he says this to God, in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. This image which is repeated again and again in the Psalter, it's rooted in the Ark of the Covenant, I think which is at the heart of Israel's tabernacle and her religious life. Remember, on the ark are images of winged cherubim, right? powerful angelic creatures which guard and protect that holy place and overshadow the mercy seat, that holy place of God's presence where the psalmist understands himself to go 
to find absolute refuge and safety as he is hidden in the shadow of God's wings, as he is hidden in some sense under the wings of the cherubim as they dwell before the face of the living God. Beloved, I just want to invite you to ponder this image of God as refuge this morning. It's so important for the logic, for the argument of the Psalter as a whole, and indeed the psalm that we're about to walk through this morning. It shows up again and again. What would it mean for you to really believe this by faith? To truly see and understand and expect and believe and count on God to be a refuge for you. To be a tower, a fortress, a place of safety and protection. To be for God to be the place where you go when you are afraid or anxious or overwhelmed. What would it mean for you to believe by faith that the living God truly offers himself to you in the midst of the chaos of your life as a stronghold? What would it mean for you to see God himself as the one who offers you sanctuary and rest under the shadow of his wings? And not just every once in a while does he offer this to you, not just for little moments of safety and peace, but what would it mean if you saw that God is the one who desires for you to live with him continually in this way, to make him your refuge always, such that he is always your safe place, always your place of strength and stability and protection all the days of your life, lived in communion with him as your refuge. I would love for you to ponder that and consider it. I hope that you taste something of what I'm talking about here on Sunday mornings. God is your refuge. That's what worship is for. I hope that God is a refuge here for you as you sing and pray and listen to the word read and proclaimed, as you commune with Christ at his table he's given to you, as you receive his blessing. And I hope that sense of refuge and safety that you experience on the Lord's Day in worship is something that you feel also during the week, that it goes out from this place with you, that that kind of refuge is found for you in God day by day in the midst of your life. Because this psalm is arguing that this kind of refuge and peace is what God is offering to you, friend. That he actually does offer it. It's something that you can live in and experience, not just occasionally, not just once in a while, but always. This kind of safety and refuge and peace. Because it is secured for you, not by your own faithfulness or work or willpower, but in Jesus in the Son of God, the one who dwells with his Father forever. Let's walk through this psalm. Let me show you the argument that it's making. 
our psalm today, it's a pretty short one. It's only eight or nine verses. It, it breaks up pretty easily, I think, into two parts, two sections. The first section being verses one to five, the first movement of the argument, and then verses to six, which form a, a kind of concluding part. And it, we'll see this. The, the conclusion comes in, a, in an unusual, interesting way, in a way that we might not expect, but it's crucial to the argument of the psalm. In verses 1 to 3, the psalmist begins this way. He says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. These verses here at the beginning of the psalm, they're, they're full of longing. Right? The psalmist begins, David, the psalmist begins in a place of isolation and weakness. He says his heart is faint. He feels as though he is crying to God from the ends of the earth. He can't find peace or rest on his own. He can't manufacture it for himself, no matter how hard he tries. Right? Meditation, exercise, thinking, calm thoughts, none of these things are helping him. They can't help him, not fundamentally. And notice what the psalmist does here. He doesn't, in that place of, of weakness and isolation, give in to despair. Now he cries out for help, for refuge. Ironically, there's a kind of pride that is found in embracing despair. You see, when we give in to despair in the midst of whatever the trouble we find ourselves in our lives, essentially what we're saying is, you know, I'm the only one who can fix this problem, this overwhelming thing. And if I can't fix it, it's hopeless, right? It's just, that's how it is. It's never going to get better because it all depends on me. And so th th there's an, actually a, a kind of underbelly of pride that is connected to despair, which is why the scriptures call us away from despair and toward faith, toward trust. And indeed, the psalmist in this uh, prayer, instead of giving in to that kind of pride of despair, he embraces what I would call the humility of dependence, right? The humility of dependence. He knows that he needs something outside of himself to deliver him from his weariness and his fear. He says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now he needs to go somewhere else, somewhere outside of himself. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, he says to God. For you, O God, have been my refuge, my strong tower against my enemy. You see, the psalmist knows that, that God is a refuge for him, that, that God has been a strong tower for him. But he doesn't want just that peace uh, momentarily or occasionally. He wants it always. He wants it forever. And in verses 4 to 5, that kind of longing spills over. The psalmist wants all of God. He wants a peace that will last. In verse 4, he starts talking about these things, he says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shadow or the shelter of your wings. 
For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those or the inheritance of those who fear your name. You see, the psalmist longs to know God's presence always, without interruption. He wants to find refuge permanently under the shelter of God's wings. The psalmist wants communion with God that is eternal, that is, that is not broken or interrupted. And I would argue, friends, that all of our longing in our lives for peace and refuge and safety is actually rooted in this fundamental desire to be in unbroken communion with the living God forever. But how do we do this? How is it achieved? How can we gain access to the kind of thing, this poignant cry of the psalmist, let me dwell, O God, in your tent forever? How can we get access to God in this way such that all of our lives are lived before his face? The second section of our psalm, verses 6 to 8, answer this question. There's a second movement of the psalm, the second part of the argument, but they, they, they do so in an interesting, a surprising way. You see, after five verses, where the psalmist is talking about his own desire to find refuge in God, the psalmist, who is David himself, of course, he suddenly seems to switch topics. He suddenly starts to talk about the king and not himself. How he wants the king to live in God's presence forever. You see, in verse 6, he just shifts. He says to God, he's no longer talking about himself anymore. He's now saying, prolong the life of the king, he says to God. May his years endure to all generations. May he live forever, in other ways, in other words. May he be enthroned, that is the king. May the king, David says, be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. And then verse 8, he concludes. And it, I think the argument here is if God will do this, if he will answer David's prayer in verses 6 and 7, this is what it will free him to be able to do. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. David will live and dwell in the tent of God forever, but only if the king does so first. Now, now what is David talking about here? Why does he suddenly begin speaking to God about a king who he wants always to live in God's presence? David is not talking about himself in the third person here. That's not what he's doing. He knows that he's going to die, that he's not going to live forever. And more than that, David knows that his access to God as, as, as a refuge, it's always going to be limited if it depends on him because his heart grows faint. He often feels like he's speaking to God from the ends of the earth. His access to God as refuge is limited by his own weakness, by the, the faintness of his own heart, by all the ways that he wanders from God's presence. And David says, what I need and what we need, all of us, is, is someone else. We need someone who will live forever, perfectly before God's face on our behalf 
for us, someone to whom we can be united forever and thus always dwell securely with that king before the face of God. He has to do, us, do it for us so that we can do it with him. David is saying, in this way and in this way only will we be able to dwell before in God's tent forever. This is the only way that we will be able to take refuge always under the shadow of God's wings. Through someone greater than ourselves who can live in that place always and bring us there with him. Friends, this is the logic of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's right here in this psalm. Because this is what God has indeed done for us in the incarnation, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of his beloved son, Jesus, the Christ of God. For Jesus Christ, Yeshua Messiah, of course, is the one whom David speaks of in this psalm. By the inspiration of the Spirit, somehow he sees forward through the centuries and he knows a king is coming who will live forever, who will achieve this, who will do this, who will dwell always securely in the tent of God. And so he says, prolong the life of the king, may his years endure for all generations. May he, that is the king, be enthroned forever before God. And he says to God, appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Pour out your love on the king so that it will come down to me. Think how perfectly those words describe our Lord in his present life right now before the face of the Father. This is what Hebrews is talking about. This is what we read about at the beginning of the book of Acts. This is what we sang about this morning at the beginning of our service. Friends, I don't know if you do this very often, but I would encourage you, beloved, to meditate frequently on the present life of Jesus right now in heaven for you. Right? Yes, meditate on his incarnation and his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection, but don't forget about what's happening now what he's doing right this very moment for you because he lives still as a man in heaven for you, friend, before the face of God. And, and, and I know, beloved, you have many anxieties. I know. Listen, I do too. I've got a, a list. Right, and in your life, I know you have sadness. I do too. I carry those things. I know that you have doubts and fears and sometimes you wonder if God is actually with you and whether he is going to bring all of these things to a good end, if he is going to do that. But beloved, you need to know this. Your king who lives forever in heaven before the face of God on your behalf, he isn't anxious. He's not sad. He doesn't doubt the character of his father. He doesn't wonder if all things will somehow turn out right. Yes, there was a time 
in the past, in history, during his earthly life, that Jesus suffered, that he knew sadness, that he knew in some way fear and anxiety. And during those years, he experienced all the suffering and temptation that we do, yet without sin, the scriptures say. But today, right now, in the, in the presence of his Father, after his glorious resurrection, after his victory over sin and death and Satan, beloved, right now, Jesus is joyful and victorious. He is perfectly at peace. And do you know why? Because he is dwelling in the house of God forever. He has been enthroned before his Father to all generations. He is being sheltered under the wings of God, and he knows fully the refuge and the solace of the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. And that's our way in. That's what I want you to see. According to the logic of the psalm, and according to the logic of the scriptures, that is the way in. It's through Jesus. In Colossians 3, Paul writes to his readers, he says these remarkable words, words that will change your life and your relationship to God if you really let them sink into your heart and let them become real by the power of the Spirit. Paul says to his readers, he says to us, you have died. Sounds like bad news. It's not bad news. You have died, Paul says, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And he's not talking about past events. He's talking about right now. Your life is hidden with Christ in God because that's where Christ is. He's in the bosom of his Father. And Paul in those words is saying, friend, your life bears a great secret. It's not necessarily apparent to everyone you meet that your life is hidden with Christ in God. Sometimes you might actually forget about it. But Paul is saying, what is objectively true about you, beloved, is that right now you are actually hidden with Christ. And Christ is in God. He is in the bosom of the Father, and so that's where you are. Jesus dwells eternally in the heart of the Father. And friend, your life is hidden with him. And the kind of refuge and peace and solace that Jesus has right now before his Father's face is actually offered to you. It's made available to you to lean into by faith, by the power of the Spirit. What I want you to see, beloved, is that the, the peace and refuge and solace and confidence that the psalmist longs for here in Psalm 61 is available to you always. It's always available to you. And that's not because, you know, you have to sort of maintain it and keep it as an option or something. Now, th this peace, this refuge that the psalmist describes, it's not something you can bring into existence. You can't do that. It's not something you can manufacture through your own discipline or your good intentions or your willpower. No, this kind of peace and refuge and safety is something you fall into, not something you achieve. It's something you receive as a gift, as a gift 
is a gift. It's something you have to learn to inhabit. Because it's offered to you from outside yourself. Friends, the refuge that the psalmist is describing all throughout the Psalter is found in this way only. It's located forever in the eternal peace and refuge and solace and confidence and joy and victory that is known right now by Jesus Christ in heaven. For it is in him that your life is hid. It is in him, friend, that your life is hid. It is in him that this refuge is offered to you. For, beloved, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.